0: York's Talk Station with the King of New York, Looking Curtis Lewa, 77 WABC.
1: On these very airwaves, just two hours ago, you can actually reverb this, because this is historical, Rich. The comeback kid began the resumption of his political career. He decided not to sit with Joan Hamburg for a softball interview. I'll get into her later on. You never, never cross the family, Joan, with that Roger Zimmerman half-hour uh, public uh, service announcement campaign uh, pitch. No, 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 George Santos, I'll get into that later. I'll deal with John. I I I'm settling all scores here, that's for sure, but I was intently listening to the comeback kid, Andrew evilized Cuomo. King Cuomo II, the Second, the Santa Facha Brutta Cuomo King Cuomo the First. As you know, he had released an eight minute video just a few weeks ago. It was uh total propaganda. Then he announced that he had a pack because he's sitting on $18 million. And you know these politicians, Democrats and Republicans, they're all whores for money. I mean, you name it. Whatever you want, as long as you give me the money, I'll say it, I'll do it. They are. They're whores. And he knows that. He knows that intently. He has been an observer of the body politic since he was a teenager at the side of his father, Mario Faciaprita Cuomo. Remember, young Andrew, at 23 years old, was appointed campaign manager for Mario Cuomo in his run to become mayor of the city of New York. At the end of a very tight and divisive race, it came down to two candidates in the Democratic primary. There was Mario Brutta Cuomo, who was anti-death penalty. And then there was Ed Koch, who all of a sudden had an epiphany, and he was pro-death penalty. The guy was always opposed to the death penalty, but his political handler was David Garth, his campaign manager. And David looked at the analytics and said, You want to be Mayor Ed? Yeah, yeah. You want to beat Mario Cuomo? Yeah, you got to be pro-death penalty. Now, everybody knows death penalty has nothing to do with being mayor. They have no effect on it, whatever. The David guards had figured out the route to victory, as he had with Michael Mbaricic, Rudy Giuliani. Yeah, this guy was... He had the full package. Crazy, eccentric like they all are, neurotic, insecure, everyone in politics... But this guy especially. So he's a veteran here. Veteran. He had been the campaign manager for John Lindsay, right? So remember, three, three. Lindsay. Koch. Giuliani. And who is his adversary? 23 year old Andrew Evil Eyes and so they were sitting in an office right on Austin Street that's still there of the corrupt Queens County Democrat machine at that time. Matty Troy, who unfortunately went to my high school, Brooklyn Prep, they kept him. They kicked me out. He ended up going to jail for bilking widows. That corrupt... Uh, you bilk widows! But they were having a sit down. And they were looking at the numbers and... Andrew turned to his father, Mario, and he said, Dad, how badly do you want to be mayor? And Mario, the Hamlet of the Hudson, you know, he always vacillated. He said, son, other than taking care of your mother, Matilda, and making sure all of you children are success, including Fredo, who's got his disabilities, I want this so bad, son, I can taste being mayor. He said, Dad? We got one choice, one choice only. Ed Koch is ahead in the polls. And then he pulled out the placards that had been made in Long Island City at the printing plant controlled by Matty Troy and the Democratic corrupt Queens County machine. Said, Dad, you got to give us the okay thumbs up. The placard said, vote for Cuomo, not the homo. Mario Cuomo sat there and vacillated. Should I, should I not, should I, should I not? And then young Andrew whispered in his ear, Dad, this is the only way you win. The only way. And then like in The Godfather, Marlon Brando, he mused, he looked around, he checked the room, but he didn't trust anybody. He trusted only members of his own family. And he looked at his son and he said, Andrew... Go for it. And the very next morning, as we awoke all through the five boroughs of the city of New York, placards everywhere, I mean, on trees. My God, they were guilty of arboricide, too, killing trees. It didn't matter. I walked out of my apartment, and everywhere I looked, it said, vote for Cuomo, not the homo. And all of a sudden, had Conscious Public popularity polls plummeted. Mario Cuomo was on his way to winning the runoff for the Democratic primary to become mayor of the city of New York. But you see, young Andrew didn't bank on the fact that David Garth, neurotic and secure. But he had three winners who became mayors, hunkered down and said, I ah, Ed, I got this. I got this. And Rich, he picked up the phone and he called. The former Miss America, the Jewish Miss America, every booby, every Zeta, every Jewish grandmother wished that their son or their grandson would marry Bess Meyerson. And David Garth said, you owe me a favor. Never explained what he had done for Bess Meyerson. And he said, you're going to campaign with Ed Koch. You're going to pretend like you're lovers. You're going to kiss. You're going to fondle. You're even going to promise that if elected, the marriage will take place in Gracie Mansion. And they went into every community arm in arm. When they had a dirty water hot dog, she would take the dirty water hot dog, put it in Ed's mouth. Cannolis the same. And then he would <laughs> lip lock. And everybody would say, God, this guy looks like he's homosexual, man. He's like... Man, it's like he's in love with Bess. Bess is in love with him. And then all of a sudden, what appeared to be victory, snatched. Mario Cuomo crashed and burned and forever will be a homophobe. You can't escape that. And Andrew, you can't escape that. It was your design. At 23 years old, you had made the political calculation. This man does not have a heart does not have a soul it's all about winning and crushing your political opponents and he waited he waited 23 year old andrew waited and said to his dad we'll get conch if it's the last thing we do years later they launched a campaign in the democratic primary to become make Mario governor of New York. He was way behind in the polls. Rupert Murdoch, who had bought Channel 5, bought the New York Post, embraced Ed Koch. Mario had no chance. And then all of a sudden, Ed Koch decided to do an interview with Playboy magazine and state that everybody north of New York City were a bunch of goofballs, women wearing gingham dresses and guys milking cows. And then Andrew went out and exploited it in all 62 counties. He and his Cuomoites were everywhere, including the wartime consiliary Joe Pococo. And immediately upstate from Erie County over to Plattsburgh, to Colony, right on down to the Mid-Hudson. They loathed, they despised that cotch. And he lost. He lost and had Democratic primary. He was assured of victory because of Murdoch and his machine. And then Mario Cuomo went on to beat, uh, the pharmaceutical kid who, uh, always wore red suspenders, weird and whatever the hell, in a very close election. I mean, it was, you know, the minutiae was so small. Mario became governor and you know who you had to go through to see Mario. Andrew evil Cuomo he was the gatekeeper you wanted a favor from Mario no 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 you don't you don't talk to my father you go through me and the Cuomo crime machine was established in the state of New York and then eventually Andrew Cuomo who had his own setbacks he so desperately wanted to replace His dad and win four terms. The one thing that Mario could not do that was denied because of George Pataki. And then all of a sudden, he became Attorney General only because he had to rise from the ashes when running against Carl McCall for the Democratic nomination to run for governor. And crashed and burned when he said that George Pataki was nothing more than a cult holder for Rudy Giuliani after 9-11. And he went on a listening tour to all 62 counties like Hillary had. He took the code of Omerta. He sucked it up. He said, I want to meet with all my enemies, my adversaries. And who did he call first and foremost, Rich? At the Guardian Angel headquarters on 46 and 8th. Yours truly, Curtis Lee. With no cell phones then, it was the old landlines. And he said, Curtis, this is Andrew. I said, I recognize the voice. You're my enemy. To me, it was like Salazzo on the other line, right? My enemy of all enemies. Watch your back. He said, I have one favor to ask of you, Curtis. I'm going on a listening tour. And everybody knows this might not be real unless I sit down with my main adversary, which is you, you, you blast me morning, noon, and night on WABC. I said, where would you like to meet? He goes, you picked a place. I said, good, because if uh, you picked a place, your wartime consul, Yeri Joe Pococo might hide the gun in the bathroom. He came into Guardian Angel headquarters. The Guardian Angels were stunned. He said, clear out. It's one-on-one. And for 48 minutes, I ripped into Andrew Cuomo's soul. I disparaged him. I said, and you, you're a toy for Al Slim Shady Sharpton and every corrupt politician in the Democratic Party. You come to me, I'm going to tell you what you have to do to be sanctified, to get back on track. And he listened, he looked in my eyes, he took notes. But I detected that he was a fugazi. This was all a show. And the very next week, who was he having a sit down with? Al Slim Shady Sharpton at the National Action Network headquarters in Harlem. And then I knew it was all a ruse. And he made the comeback. And he went on after being attorney general and settling all scores with his own enemies, David Patterson, who he whacked. Let's be real here. David Patterson was the governor, right? He was entitled to run for election. Remember, he had replaced Mr. Nisox, Elliot Spitzer, you know, who should have gone to jail for violating the Mann Act, paying hookers from hell all over the place, but they gave him a break. They said, resign today, and the Mann Act goes away. And all of a sudden, a call went to David Patterson. God only knows where he was at that moment. And they said, David, Governor David Patterson. He said, what the hell are you talking about? You're the governor. Carry on. And the attorney general at that time, who was it? Andrew Evil Eyes Cuomo. And he said to Joe Pococo, we will destroy this guy. He stands in our way. And even Yankee tickets, right? We're right now at the point where the Yankees might be eliminated by Cleveland. I'll go into that later on. Randy Levine was part of this president of the Yankees. There was David Patterson in the box. They were playing the Philadelphia Phillies, remember, in the World Series? Randy Levine, on behest of Andrew Evil Cuomo and Joe Pococco, said, oh, he procured free tickets. He was supposed to pay for that. And every newspaper declared war on David Patterson. And every time you read a story about David Patterson, who did it come from? Andrew evilized Cuomo and he said to Pato- P- Pococo break his legs, break his soul break his spirit make it so he will not run again and David Patterson was sight challenged was constantly being guarded by some of his friends and relatives because he knew that at any moment Joe Pacoco might come out of the shadows with the Louisville Sluggers and stuff his legs right in his pocket and then Andrew evilized Cuomo became governor. You know most of the rest of the story, ladies and gentlemen. If you were an enemy of Andrew Evil Cuomo, he turned you into a speed bump. He would summon his wartime consulieri, who had an office right in the executive mansion, right next to him, Joe Pococco. And he would say, Joe, it's time that you have a walk and talk with this guy, and you straighten him out, put him on the shelf. Try to convince him first. Try to bribe him second. And if the money doesn't work, then reveal to him what we know about him and uh, his peccadillos, his sexual proclivities. Show him what we have. And if even then he defies the Cuomo family, you know what you got to do, Joe. That's why you have the Louisville Sluggers in the trunk of your car. Said, boss, I got it. And that's how he stayed in power, and he was right at that moment of almost being nominated as the Democratic nominee to run against President Donald Trump for re-election. Two Queens boys, Holliswood right next door to Jamaica State. The Cuomo and Trump families were intertwined, and now they would be at war. But then all of a sudden they said, Andrew evilized Cuomo can't be the candidate... Remember, he disparaged Karl McCall, that black man who should have been governor. We gotta go to the friend of all black people. He's mindless. He's lost. He's in a basement in Delaware. Joe Biden. And there was Andrew Cuomo. He had the Emmy. Every day was on TV at noon with a new tazza de cafe, medallia d'oro, would be scared, right? He had, he had the, the COVID discussion, right? And everybody said, oh, my God, he should be president. He was within inches of becoming president of the United States. And then the executive order surfaced. Who announced it first right here on WABC? Not I. It was our colleague, Mark Levin, at night, when a woman called up from Westchester County who ran a senior citizen home and read the executive order. Let's give credit where credit is due. That woman braved retaliation from Joe Pococo, and braved the fact that those Medicaid and Medicare funds would be cut and she'd be out of business, and she read that executive order. And Mark Levine and the rest of us, Levine, was blown away. And you know what that led to. All of a sudden, investigations, the book that was written in the middle of the pandemic in which she made millions and millions of dollars, On government time, he had his staff working on that. 16,000 senior citizens who died because of that executive order. And then we found out that he was the Perv, Governor Perv Cuomo. Rich, don't interfere with me right now. This is between me and Andrew Cuomo here. And then the W. Disgraziata, when we saw picture after picture of him perving his own female staff members, he blamed it on the Italian-American culture? His father Mario never did that. My grandfather Fidel Bianchino never did that. He cursed the heritage of Italian-American peoples. But there is salvation here. Just the small minutiae. The only two things I agreed with with Andrew evilized Cuomo. When he defended Christopher Columbus, he said, No, you're not taking down the statues from Buffalo to Brooklyn. No, you're not doing away with the parade. No, you're not doing away with the holiday. And then, when his former friend who had worked with him at HUD when he was the chairman under Bill Clinton of the Housing Urban Development uh, government agency that oversaw federal housing. Bill de Blasio, the part-time mayor, the dope from Park Slope, and his evil wife, Charlene, looked at the poll that was done about establishing statues in honor of heroic females. And the people, black, white, Hispanic, Asian, voted for Mother Cabrini. Mother Cabrini! Comrade Bill de Blasio and Charlene said, No, you know why? Because she was pro life. Never, never, never. And Andrew Cuomo came in and he said, Look, I'm pro choice, but Mother Cabrini was a saint. And he said, You won't give her the statue, but we will. And on state property, right down in the battery, in the shadow of the Holocaust Museum, I introduced my wife Nancy the very first time she saw it I've been there a million times and honored Mother Cabrini because when my mother was ill when she was like on the brink of leaving this plane she was cared for at Mother Cabrini by nuns nuns and lay medical people I owed it to Mother Cabrini and he did the right thing he built the statue and he said we will honor Mother Cabrini other than that we have been at war. Up next, we're going to hear cuts from the interview exclusively done by Cindy Adams. And she's a tough you-know-what. And she had no love in her heart for Andrew Evil Eyes Cuomo, if you've read her columns leading up to this. I heard it at 1 o'clock to 2, but I'm going to play it back for all of you, and I'm going to critique it. Because it's now official. He's back on the comeback trail.
0: New York's talk station with the king of New York. Mm -hmm. Curtis Lewa, 77 WABC.
1: Come comeback of Andrew Evil Eyes Cuomo started right here at 1 o'clock with her own Cindy Adams. No, she's not a powder puff. You don't mess with Cindy. You heard her the other day with Sid. On the Sid uh, Rosenberg show, as Bernard had departed to the hereafter when John Katsimatidis and Lydia were substituting. And she said, I want to piss all over Eric Adams. I want to piss on him. Fire and brimstone. The first question, Andrew evilized Cuomo, was about his political friends.
2: Every one of us has had problems. Did friends stand by you like the Biden, Pelosi, Obama, Schumer? What about political friends? Is there such a thing?
3: Uh political friends is an oxymoron to <laughs> me. <laughs> <laughs> there are no friends okay. in politics. Yeah. They have that that expression uh in Albany, which is uh, historically, been
1: treacherous for politics.
2: <laughs> yeah, uh, I know.
3: I know. If you want a friend, uh, get a dog, which I did, by the way.
1: I'll tell you that story later, El Capitan, that I almost uh, rescued with Nancy when he had abandoned El Capitan at the Executive Mansion. Tell you that momentarily. But what he didn't tell Cindy that for three terms he would sit in the executive office with his wartime consigliere, Joe Pococco, and then summon in all the Democrats, his friends, and those who were wavering, and he told them this.
3: Fredo, you're my older brother, and I love you, but don't ever take sides with anyone against the family again.
1: And you know who Fredo was, Chris Cuomo. You know, he was trying to make his, his own route, you know, he got to be independent and time no, no, no. And that went for everyone in the circle of Democrats in Albany. And then uh, Cindy asked him about his acerbic personality. Did your
2: personality do you in? Was that some of it because you've always been tough for everything? You've fought for us all. Is that part of it?
3: The part of it is, Uh, I was disruptive to the political class. You know, it's funny, Cindy, you remember my father. Yeah, of course uh, I I do. Of of course. Mario Cuomo. He used to say, I don't like politicians. And I used to say, but dad, you're a politician. Don't you ever call me a politician? (laughs) I would say, but you're in politics. I'm not a politician. Uh, And he wasn't a politician. The uh, As governor, as an executive, I'm there to get a job done for you. That's how I see it. I represent you.
1: He represents us. First off, Mario Cuomo's a politician. Donald Trump a politician. Curtis Sliwa, when he shook his first hand and kissed his first baby running for mayor, became a politician. Don't, belie- don't believe the nonsense. Oh, I'm not a professional politician. Yes, you are. So the lies begin. But notice, he knew Cindy really loved Mario. Like a lot of people did. They don't like Andrew. A lot of people love Mario Cuomo. I was a supporter of Mario Cuomo first. He held the first fundraiser for the Guardian Angels at Magique when he was lieutenant governor. Oh, there's a lot of documentation of that. And then we broke over law and order because he essentially was like Andrew. Just turn him loose. You'll get to that later on. But with Cindy, he knew the way... Calm her down. Just keep mentioning my father, Mario, who she respected and to a degree she loved. And Cindy Adams asked uh, Cuomo about his prowess in getting budgets in on time.
3: When I got there, Cindy, they hadn't passed a budget on time in 20 years. Oh,
2: you know I didn't even know
3: Yeah, I got it done on time every year. So, yeah, I fought with them and I pushed them uh, and I made them do things that they didn't want to do because they offended their donors. Uh, and, you know, they all are into special donors and special interests. Uh, and I called them out on it when I saw it, saw it. Uh, so, yeah, they found me. Disruptive to the political class. I was not one of the go along, get along guys.
1: Let me cut to the chase. This had nothing to do with all of that because he was just as corrupt as any of the people you mentioned. But his father, remember, said that the reason he couldn't run for president. The plane was waiting on the tarmac to take him to M- Manchester, New Hampshire. He had to sign documents to run in the Democratic primary. He was on his way to being anointed president of the United States. After that speech he gave at the Moscone Center in San Francisco that rocked the house when Mondale was nominated as president and Geraldine Ferraro as vice president. How do I know? I was there. Not inside, outside with the Guardian Angels. And they had the buttons already, Mario Como for president. That was his excuse. We don't have a budget. I'm the governor. I can't run for president. So the proclivity of Andrew because of that was always to have a budget on time. And then Cuomo wanted to sort of uh, bust his buttons and bridges with pride about LaGuardia Airport that he said was a third world airport before he came in and rehabilitated it to first world status
3: i got more done than any governor in modern history Uh, you drive around new york city you see a new laguardia airport how do you think that happened new second avenue subway new moynihan train hall uh, tunnels redone bridges redone Uh, that's my pushing to get delivery, push that bureaucracy, to make them do something, push those legislators to actually vote. Uh, So, yeah, it's pushing the stone uphill all the time.
1: Notice that. Patting himself so hard on the back, he's going to have to go for a chiropractic adjustment tomorrow. But he didn't stop. You mentioned LaGuardia Airport. Remember, then-Vice President Joe Biden said, this is a third-world airport. That's why Cuomo wanted to take total control and say, this is my gift to all of you?
3: Uh, I said, let's get a, build a new airport. Oh, no, it's too hard. The community, this, this one, this. You know, to get something like that done, Cindy, you have to push every day. Uh, and I did that for, you know, uh, almost 12 years. And, yeah, we got a lot of things done, but they found me uh uh difficult for them uh and i didn't represent them i didn't work for them but i didn't work for the politicians i worked for the people i had pins made for everybody who worked with me i work for the people you know it sounds simple but it's everything i don't work for the lobbyists. I don't work for the assemblymen. I don't work for the senators. I don't work for any of these people. I worked for the people of the state of New York to get things done, and I did.
1: Cindy was simmering at that point. She was wearing her hip-hugging boots because the bovine organite, he was spreading everywhere. And then she brought it back and basically did what Cindy Adams always does, pivots and shifts when you're trying to give a propaganda and say, you know, you you weren't the warmest and fuzziest guy in the world. Can
2: it be that maybe you're just not warm and fuzzy? Is that what was needed and wasn't there?
3: First of all, I'm not fuzzy. I don't want to be fuzzy. I don't even know what fuzzy means. I'm from New York. We don't have fuzzy in New York. (laughs) I I,
2: I have a cheap sweater. It has fuzzy. Okay, go ahead. Yeah, what is that
3: fuzzy? I (laughs) don't want
2: to be fuzzy. Okay, go ahead. (laughs)
3: Uh, I am, you know, uh, uh, I'm warm, I think. Uh, I have friends. Uh, That's all fine. But when I'm there to do a job, I am going to do the job.
1: I'm warm, I think. Hell no, man! You're like the executioner. You're cold as ice. And then Cindy Adams brought up the gubernatorial race, and she wanted him to weigh in on Zeldin and Hochul. Because, as you know, he despises, he loathes Hochul. He feels she stabbed him in the back. She's traitor.
2: But say something about Hochul or Zeldin that will okay. go on the air. This is what I'll say. Yeah.
3: The, uh, the Republican Party has been taken over by the far right of the Republican Party. The Republican Party for a long time courted the evangelicals and the Christian right and the pro-life movement. And the Republicans have wound up in a position, Cindy, where they are out of step with the majority of people in this country. They're out of step with the majority of Republicans. They overturn Roe v. Wade, take away a woman's right to choose.
2: Yeah, awful, awful, awful. awful.
3: They're now talking about uh, uh, ending marriage equality, which allowed members of the LGBTQ community to marry. We were the first big state to pass marriage equality. Uh, And it then went all across the country. That was 10 years ago we passed it. They're talking about undoing that. Marriage equality said to the LGBTQ community, it wasn't really about marriage. It was about equality. And it, it acknowledged them and showed them respect. And society said, we value you, and we respect you, and you're equal to us in every way. Your love is equal to our love. Your relationship is equal to our relationship. You're going to go backwards on that? Governor, any... I
2: didn't hear you answer my question, which was Hokel Zeldin, unless I'm oh, asleep please. here. Okay,
3: I'm sorry, I'm sorry. It's a long <laughs> answer.
1: Ah, you know, it's right. Uh, typical. He didn't want to say anything positive about Hokel. That statement right there gave him an opportunity, the question by Cindy Adams, to do a Tulsi Gabbard. He could have said, I've had it with the Democrats who've given me the shaft. I'm going to become independent and autonomous. He didn't say that. He certainly didn't say he was becoming a Republican, as Tulsi Gabbard certainly suggested. Seems to me he will remain a Democrat till the day he dies. When we come back, though, Cindy Adams does the pivot and shift again and asks him personal questions, which he takes umbrage to. It's like Mario Facha Bruta Cuomo, King Cuomo first. He didn't like it when you asked him personal questions. Like father, like son, Andrew hates it even more. Even though he said, you see these shoes? I'm surprised he didn't tell that story. These are the shoes that my father wore for years. And you say, what the hell are you talking about, Andrew? they Ferragamos. They didn't even have Ferragamos when your dad was alive.
0: Talk Radio 77 WABC. New York's talk station with the king of New York. Oh, Curtis Lewa, 77 WABC. Too sexy for my love Too sexy for my love Love's going to leave
1: So, uh, Andrew evilized Cuomo On his comeback tour Decided to give his One and only interview To Cindy Adams Wise choice. He came right into the Venus flytrap. I say that because if you have read Cindy Adams' columns in the Post, she was dropping uh, written napalm on him on a regular basis, on a regular basis. And he adhors any discussion of his personal life. He's... uh, not at all. He's like, a, you know, they had uh, the Oyster Festival in Oyster Bay, Oyster Bay Cove this weekend. right? He's like an oyster closed. Doesn't want to open up. Not even just piss out a little that water. Psst, nothing. But if there's anybody who can get down to a person's personal life, she's done it for, ever since tabloids were invented. I mean, let's face it, she's... The person who uh, can be the queen of me, you cross Cindy Adams, there's no coming back. Five, so, uh, he's sitting there, and again, you could detect, although you couldn't see it, it's all audio. You can go to the WABCradio.com podcast. That's WABCradio.com for Cindy Adams' exclusive interview with the comeback kid, Andrew Evelice She asks him if there is any new women in his life.
2: How about another new woman in your life? Is it possible?
3: Is it possible? Why? Do you have any recommendation?
2: No, but listen, I know people. I mean, I'm not oh, well, interested no. in helping my friend.
1: <laughs> yeah, well, if you know someone, keep me in mind. You remember uh, Kevin Josh, our weekend producer, how many times when he was riding high in the saddle, when he was doing those noontime. Uh, PowerPoint productions about, uh, at that time, coronavirus, and it was looking like he might become the Democratic nominee versus President Donald Trump. Remember I described him and his brother Fredo, Chris Cuomo, as curb jumpers? Remember, I always say they're curb jumpers out there, man. He chase skirts, he chase trim all the time. Everybody knows that, but everybody kept that quiet. So, Cindy got that question out of the way. That was uh, sort of the warm and fuzzy question. And then she zeroed in about the sexual perv allegations made by so many of his female staff members.
2: Tell us now, we need to know what is happening with these 11 ladies and these so-called allegations. Nobody understands Tell us about those.
3: You know, from my point of view, I said from the beginning, uh, this is politics and it's overblown. Uh, The attorney general uh, did a report, put out the report. It was sent to district attorneys all across the state. Not a single case was brought And then uh, the political uproar uh, caused me to resign. And then the attorney general turns
2: around and runs for governor. (laughs) Yeah, I know. That's true. Yes, yes,
3: yes. yes, And I said, you know, uh, look, I filed an ethics complaint against her because it was a pure conflict of interest.
1: Pure conflict of interest. And you all need to know the backstory that when uh, public advocate at that time, Tish James, wanted to run for state attorney general, it was Andrew Evilized Cuomo himself who had been attorney general, knows the power of that office, sort of like you're in a schoolyard and there's a stick on the ground, and somebody like Cuomo's around, he's going to pick up the stick. You don't leave a stick on the ground and give it to an attorney general. And he made the same mistake that so many made when they gave Andrew Evilized Cuomo an easy pass to become Attorney General of the state, and then he settled all scores. He uh, dropped napalm all over Governor David Patterson. He's the reason that Elliot Spitzer had to exit stage left. Yeah, it was all Andrew Evilized Como. He's. It's like you had uh, J. Edgar Hoover, Chuck Schumer. Andrew Cuomo, they all keep files. That's why nobody ever threatened them because they got a file on everybody. And the guy who keeps his file is Joe Pococo, man. He knows everything. He's got the pictures. He knows who the Kamadas are. Just like in the Godfather, he knows what proclivities you have. And they feed the beast. Absolutely. It's the Cuomo crime family. You got to understand, I know them better than anybody. I was a friend, and then I became a foe. So when you're a friend, right, you find out everything. And then when you're a foe, they try to keep you close, right? Try to keep you close. Couldn't keep me close. But he did the uh, the mumbo-jumbo routine. If not for him, Tish James had no shot at becoming the state attorney general. He cleared out all the competition. Wherever Cuomo would go when campaigning against Molinaro, Tish James was side-by-side with him. He was basically anointing her. She's my choice. Because it was understood. It was a quid pro quo. Everybody knew how much corruption was coming out of the Cuomo administration. There was a Moreland Commission that was investigating him. He puts together the Moreland Commission to investigate political corruption in the legislative body, and then all of a sudden, all the information suggests to the Moreland Commission that the real corruption is coming out of Cuomo's office, and he shut him down. Should have been indicted by Preet Pahara, but he blinked. Corrupt right down to the marrow of his bone. And then Cindy Adams asked the question now that he's on the comeback tour in his very first interview. He's had no other interviews Cindy Adams, right here on WABC, 1 o'clock today. You got to listen to her every Sunday at 1 because she has the newsbreakers. Asked uh, Andrew Evilize Cuomo if he will run again.
2: So, are Thank you going to make Paul. another shot at it someday? Who knows? We take one day at a time, you know. And Take, take the uh, next day. What about the next day? Will someday you take another shot at it?
3: I don't know. Uh, I'm open to all options.
1: Did I play that one more? Play that one more time, Rich. So play are you going to make
2: or... another shot at it someday? Who knows? We take one day at a time, you know. And Take, take the uh, next day. What about the next day? Will someday you take another
1: shot at it?
3: I don't know. Uh, I'm open to all
1: options. I know. I know. Because they are my enemies, and they have, they will do everything they can to wipe me out. If somehow he had survived the investigation and remained governor, I'd probably be broadcasting uh, from the Dominican Republic because they were going to come after me, especially with me running for mayor. I mean, and it's not about finding dirt. Look, all my dirt is already out there. It's manufacturing dirt, destroying their political opponents. So I know he's back. In fact, there was a sit-down he had in his office in the compound, Southampton, at his uh, brother Fredo's uh, mansion, Chris Cuomo. Pretty boy, muscle brain. And uh, they're hitting the mattresses and stirring the marinara sauce. This is war. This is They're settling all scores. And he sat down his senior advisor as a party. This guy is always his mouthpiece. In fact, when uh, Rob Cole, who was my campaign manager, said to me and Nancy in the middle of the campaign, we've got to drop everything, go to Albany, El Capitan, his husky, was left behind at the executive mansion when he resigned and went out to the Hamptons, the compound. And when we arrived outside the gate, because Rob Cole had been uh, part of the Pataki administration, we saw the state trooper. He asked, "What is your intention, Curtis?" And I said, "We're here to rescue El Capitan, the husky, who's been abandoned." He said, "Please do. This dog runs all over the governor mansion grounds. He nips at us. He like uh, he didn't get him fixed, so he's humping our legs. It's so embarrassing." And El Capitan right there was barking. <laughs> Poor guy was a black trooper, too. So I didn't want to say, well, you know, maybe the dog is racist, you know. But anyway, I said, well, we'll take El Capitan. He goes, look, just got it clear to the state commander, and then I'll release it to you in charge of the state police. Immediately, this guy, as a party, who was Cuomo's senior advisor, calls down to the guard shack right there on Eagle Street. Don't you dare. Release El Capitan to Curtis Sliwa and his wife, Nancy. Don't you dare. The governor is getting in his SUV. He's driving back to requisition El Capitan and bring him down to the compound. He will never tolerate the fact that Curtis and Nancy have rescued El Capitan. We were so close to doing that. First thing we would have done is had El Capitan fixed. I mean, how embarrassing. The guy's humping every state trooper who was at the governor's mansion. I mean, El Capitan, you, you couldn't do anything to the dog because, you know, the governor, hey, you know, he's just like me. You know, he's got a libido problem. And Rich, as a party, started tweeting away. Never in a million years, he texted, never will Slewa ever end up with El Capitan. This guy is his political henchman. Three days ago, before this exclusive interview with Cindy Adams, he sat down in the compound. Yeah, I got my sources. And it was a scene, like right out of The Godfather, because remember, this is the sixth family of organized crime. They really are the Cuomo crime family. Andrew runs it like that. You got the Bananos, you got the Gambinos, the Genovese, the Columbo's, the Lucchese, and the Columbo's. And just like uh, Michael sat down with his uh, peacetime consigliere, Tom Hagen, Andrew Cuomo, who might as well be Michael Corleone, he's just like him in so many ways, if you know uh, Andrew the way I know him, both originally as a friend and now as a foe of all foes, he basically told Rich as a party, I need my wartime consigliere back, Joe Pococco. You're not a
3: wartime consigliere, Tom.
1: And Rich has a party Said, well, of course I am. Of course I am. Andrew said, I need you to be my peacetime consulary, because we're back into the swing of things. We will get our revenge. But Rich, you have no blood on your hands. Joe, he's a butcher. He's a butcher. Remember that scene that was made when DiCaprio was in that movie about public enemy number one? From up in Boston, remember Jack Nicholson was playing Whitey Bulger. Remember when Whitey Bulger comes out to DiCaprio and says, "Hey, I'm busy right now," and he's got blood all over his shirt because he's been beating the hell out of a guy in the back room. That's Joe Bacoco, man. He's a monster. I know. He's a monster.
0: Talk Radio 77 WABC. New York's talk station with the king of New York. Curtis Lewa, 77 WABC.
1: You know, when uh, Frank Morano, that mama married down in Staten Island, and invited all my enemies, the Gotti, Sean Gotti Jr., all the guys who would love to get another opportunity to kill me. Joan Hamburg was there. You know, I, I didn't have a chance to talk to her at the wake of Bernard McGurk out in Island Park, but I should have sat it down and said, Joan, you're the queen of talk radio, but the one thing that makes you so good is you don't talk politics. And then earlier I was listening to her... Introduced Democrat congressional candidate Roger Zimmerman from the third congressional district, uh, which is Queens and the North Shore of Long Island. And she said, "You know, I'm uh, I'm going to talk to George not about politics, but about how you change your career in midlife." And then everything for a half hour was politics, and it was like a propaganda piece. Joan, you don't. You don't side against the family. That's that, That's not your lane, John. you got to stay in your lane. That's my lane, John. That's my lane. And let me tell you as an antidote to a half hour promoting Roger Zimmerman, a man of no consequence, a Democratic candidate for the 3rd Congressional District. You got to go out and vote for George Santos, the Republican conservative that I've campaigned with. I've seen him in the trenches. I've seen him going door to door, working hard in the North Shore, his followers, young followers in Whitestone, Bayside, all those areas that the district was rewritten into. And now I can give you uh, some insight into what happened before that race. uh, Swazi left that pretty boy. Swazi thought he could knock off Hochul. Huh. He got destroyed in that primary. But um, I was summoned to a meeting in Nassau County, not far from the old Roosevelt Raceway, at an Italian restaurant by Chairman Cairo and his staff there. They said, Sliwa, well, we've been doing the analytics. Man, you overwhelmingly beat uh, Eric Adams in that area, Whitestone, Bayside, you know, that whole area, Little Neck, Douglas then that's right now the 3rd Congressional District. Would you consider running as a Republican candidate? And I said, you know, I'm not a carpetbagger. I'm New York City through and through. I, I, I respect you guys because you're going to take out Todd Kaminsky. Remember, an honor of Bernard McGurk, remember every day Bernard McGurk would come because his state senator was Todd Kaminsky. Who had been a U.S. attorney for the Eastern District, got elected Democrat, and was the author of the no bail bill. Remember how Bernie would say, "We got to unseat Todd Kaminsky." And I, I said to all of you gentlemen, you did it. You beat him. You beat him badly, as he thought he could run for district attorney in Nassau County. God bless Bernie, who who led the way. And Laura Curran, who was a good national county executive, so misguided by the Democrats and the Democratic chairman, Jay Jacobs, who said, hey, take a picture here with Todd Kaminsky. Put it on your Facebook. Look like a hostage, right? Like a hostage photo that led to her demise against Bruce Blakeman. And I say, you know, Ed uh, Mangano's a crook. He deserved going to jail. And then the meeting dissolved. But after that half-hour promo by a woman who never talks politics, that's what Joan always says. You know, it's like Cousin Brucie. I never talk politics. Right, Cousin Brucie? I never... She talked politics. You don't do that, Joan. So as a result, I have to side against you and tell all of our listeners, you go out, you vote for George Santos in the 3rd Congressional District because he's working hard for it. Ironically, in this race... Both candidates, both Zimmerman, the Democrat, and George Santos, are open, gay candidates. And Santos beat Swazi on election night based on the tallies from the machines. But he lost on paper. He deserves this. Do the right thing. Vote for George Santos, Republican, conservative, 3rd Congressional District. Check this out.
0: No one knows New York better. The founder of the Guardian Angels, Curtis Lewa. And you can't compete against that. On 77 WABC. Clap your hands, everybody, if you got what it takes. Because I'm Curtis Blow, and I want you to know that these are the boys.
1: what does that subliminally mean there rich break up that key break up that kilo of cocaine curtis blow that's not his real name blow is the name for cocaine this was the number one song 1979 when i started the guardian angels up in the bronx where curtis blow was from And by the time that song hit, it was 1980, he was on with Don Cornelius. So Train, And he had a Coke spoon right around his neck. Curtis Blow, these are the breaks. And that's when cocaine was flowing. I mean, it was everywhere. People thought of it like uh, Red Bull, like it was an energy drink. You'd go to a party, you'd go to the clubs, which I did. And you'd have a Skippy peanut jar filled with white powder if it was a high-end club or a high-end party obviously poorer folks couldn't afford blow it was expensive but if your host or hostess really wanted to turn that mother out there were bowls of white powder everywhere and it was thought hey it'll just give you a pick-me-up nobody knew the devastating impact of this white powder was being brought in from the Medellin cartel, Pablo Escobar, and their competition, the Cali cartel. Nobody knew at that point. They were using it on Wall Street. They were using it in the halls of government. It was just supposed to be, I could pick me up, like having a Red Bull now. But, oh, no, it wasn't. And the reason why I'm talking about this... Is because coke dealers are now boldly selling cocaine in the streets. Right out there for everybody to see. And sample. So one uh, night, Curtis Blow, these other breaks, comes over the Guardian Angel headquarters, which was my apartment, second floor, over at West Fordham and University Avenue near St. Nicholas at Tallentine, the rectory. The school was behind it on Andrews. And he comes upstairs... And actually all the guardian angels say, wow, Curtis Bro, these are the breaks. And he comes up and he starts talking. And actually they're all in rapt attention. And I'm in the back uh, having a meeting. So we were dealing with a serious situation in the South Bronx. And I come out and I'm listening to this bull feather thrower. Yo, man, I'm here because all of you homies are from the Bronx, man. And I'm doing good. I'm swimming in dough. And I'm going to put some cash right down here for all you guardian angels because you're doing great work. And I mean, it wasn't a Philly roll. Philly roll has $100 on top and singles underneath. It was all crisp $100 bills. He puts it down and all the guardian angels say, oh, my God. Rock, that was my nickname. Rock, oh man. Now maybe they won't evict us. Now maybe maybe you'll be able to fend off eviction. Because clearly the Albanians owned that building and they were upset. We were running people in 24 hours a day, but I had no other choice. I got fired from McDonald's. I was called America's Vigilante. Nobody wanted to deal with me. I was getting locked up by the NYPD every other week. So I said, oh, Curtis Ball, these are the bikes, huh? Hmm. The breaks, right, when you break up a key, kilo, right? Like, whoa, 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 what do you mean? I said, why you got that Coke spoon around your neck here, Curtis Blow, huh? Did you get a pick-me-up before you came out of your stretch limo? I see that outside. Jeeves is waiting for you. Jeeves is strapped there. Come on, man. you do some blow before you came up here? And the guy said, no, man, come on, Curtis. It's Curtis Blow, man. He's number one. He wants to help us. I said, pick up. Your freaking blankety blank money. And you got two ways you can get the hell out of here. I throw your ass right out the window, or you can walk outside and never return again. And he was cursing, screaming, you ungrateful, blankety blank blank, you ingrate. Wow, who's the last person to call me an ingrate? That uh, Republican uh, uh, Eric Adams supporter, right? Joe Borelli from the South Shore of Staten Island. He called me an ingrate. I thought he said inbred, you know, is uh, he really ready? Uh, he was angry. So he left, and as he was getting into the limo, he screams up at the window, F-U, Sliwa. I said, oh, wow, you pronounced my name right. Back then, people were like saliva, saliva, sewer. They couldn't pronounce it. Silva, they thought I was Puerto Rican, right? Boricua. Go to Silva, buy And I tell him, never come back again, because he was promoting the use of cocaine. And so the guys and the gals in the group were, like, befuddled. They were befuddled. They were like, why? He was going to give us money we desperately needed. Man, they were arresting us because we can't pay our fare when we're going in and out. It's like they're making our life miserable. We need bail money. And they were making all excellent points. And I said to them, I said, we don't need that money. That's blood money. That's money that's going to kill people in the streets. Because eventually, and I had no idea what was going to eventually happen. But I kind of figured from a retail point of view, there'd be enough cocaine that they'd have to figure out a way to get it to the lower classes. You know, folks that were indigent, poor, people living in tenements and living in the projects. You couldn't couldn't afford white cocaine, uh, white blow then, no. And what happened? Some Dominicans in the mid-'80s said, hmm, Washington Heights, let's put this in a tray with baking soda, and let's bake it like we bake bread with yeast. And out of that, the cocaine rose, and then the next day they had a single... Raised uh, a single-edge razor, and they started chipping away. That's how they invented crack. And then you beam yourself up to Scotty, smoking those rocks of crack cocaine, which was the poor man's cocaine. And look at the zombies and look at the monsters. Some of you listening right now, you were crack monsters, and somehow you survived. But many people you knew didn't didn't i remember wrestling crack pipes out of the hands of women who were 86 pounds soaking wet who had been devastated who looked like scales and they wouldn't give up that pipe they were burning their hand because we would smash the pipe and destroy the drugs that's a monster drug still is and so all of a sudden rudy giuliani was elected mayor thank god Barely elected mayor because of the turnout in Staten Island. Thank you, Staten Island. Thank you, Guy Molinari, who uh, created the secession movement that got the extra votes out. And uh, enough of the music here, because now we get into the belly of the beast. Rudy had zero tolerance. Rudy cracked down on everything. Quality of life. You didn't see cocaine out in the streets. At first, yeah, the first year or two, then they did the crack. You didn't see anybody torching up crack any longer. No. Man, nobody was smoking joints out there in the street. In fact, you looked around if you were going to have a beer and it wasn't in a bag. Right? Right, Rich? Cops would throw you up against the wall, take you to the precinct. All of a sudden, detectives would be sweating you down—good cop, bad cop. You had never been brought in that detective's room before. I know; I've been there many times. They wanted to charge me with murder. <laughs> yeah, we'll go into that on an occasion or two. Some guy fell off a rooftop—a of rapist? I don't know. I guess he <laughs> tripped and <laughs> fell, right? Yeah, go ahead. Try to prove that one. But anyway, the point being is—is is that. They would drag you in, Rich, if you had a container, an open container of beer that wasn't in a paper bag. And then the detective would say, what do you know about what's going on in your neighborhood? Remember, you're in the detective's room now. The other guy would come and breathe on you. Tell us. Tell us, is there bait and switch going on? Is somebody dealing drugs? And you would naturally, you would be frightened. Yeah, well, yeah. Uh, they're filled right there in apartment 1D, man. He's running cocaine. And then they come in there, boom, and they bust down the door and they make a bust. And nobody knew it was you who got a simple ticket for drinking an open container of beer not in a paper bag? That's zero tolerance. That's what is required. Eric Adams, the swagger man with no plan, has no plan. And look, we see now weed being dealt out in the streets, in the weed wagons. We see it being dealt out on these card tables, out in the open. Okay, so you say, well, weed. Technically, the recreational use of marijuana is legal, but they haven't set up the mechanism. They're taking uh, their sweet time of selling it out of legal government-licensed shops, like Jersey is doing. You you would say, why is it taking us so much time? Because there's kickbacks here. Our politicians don't do anything unless there are kickbacks. They're insisting that the people who end up with the licensed weed shops had to have been busted for selling weed in the past. Now, how crazy is that, right? (laughs) But anyway, it slowed the process. So they're selling weed everywhere, Naturally, people are puffing up. Look, there are people here at WABC, they go, I'm going out for a vape break. Yeah, vape, right? Yeah. Let me smell that vape, right? It's not one of those uh, perfumed-flavored tobacco products. Hey, wait. I got a pretty good schnoz here. It smells like reefer to me. Yo, yo, sleep. Well, man, don't bust my chops. Hey, look, it's legal now, right? But you can't sell it. You can't sell it, but nobody's stopping anybody from selling it. You could use it. You could have hydroponics in your basement and basically be taking uh, all the electricity from uh, Big Bertha, uh, the Con Ed plant, in order to to grow your weed in the basement, and people are doing that all over the place. So the the state and the city really got to get moving because we're losing all this taxable revenue to the underground, the underground economy, which is selling reefer. And now you look on the card tables, and again, they're at 42nd Street, right in the heart of Times Square. You see the naked cowboy. You see the cartoon characters who are all illegal aliens who live in Passaic County. Ask them for paperwork. They can't even speak a word of English. They come here, right? They get off of Passaic. Next thing they're in Times Square and they're trying to rip you off. And then the the nudistas, you know, the women who come and they paint their breasts, and meantime they're buck naked and guys are like, Oh God. You know, they're from Iowa and Nebraska. Can I take a picture with you? And they're picking their pockets. And then you have the weed dealers there. And now I've noticed I go up to the weed dealers, who normally would have been afraid of me when all of this was illegal. But I say, yo, yo, what, what's your product here? And you look, they don't even go into their pockets. They don't even have to go into a valise. It's all out on the card tables. Weed, shrooms, and I'm not talking mushrooms, so you could buy your Cristides, you know, to make your marinara sauce. I'm talking psychedelic shack. That's where it's at. Those kind of shrooms. And cocaine. I'm going to tell you the places. I've seen it with my own eyes. And they let you sample the product right out in the open. And the cops know this. And I've had conversations with them. 42nd Times Square. It's everywhere. Wheat, shrooms, and coke. Thirty-fourth Street, Seventh Avenue, in the shadow of Madison Square Garden. Weed, shrooms, coke. Twenty-third and Broadway—that's Little Nairobi. The reason they call it Little Nairobi because a lot of East Africans there sell off all those knockoff bags, right? Oh, Louis Vuitton knockoff bags. All the all the knockoff bags are sold there. It's little Little Nairobi, and now they realize nobody's doing anything to stop the selling of knockoff bags, and so they get, they sell everything, weed shrooms coke you could go up to them with curtis blows coke spoon take a, can i take a sample A little snort uh, how much you're willing to buy they got to make sure the product is real that it's not just uh, baking powder you know it's not uh almond hammer baking soda you know i just uh, just want to test it, and they'll let you test the product right there in the open cameras everywhere Talk to the cops at the 13th Precinct, Midtown South, Midtown North, which I've done. Midtown South, largest precinct in all of Manhattan. Guys, gals, they're dealing coke right in the open. They're waving the white baggies. They're not putting it in their pocket. It's not coming out of their baseball cap. They're yeah, saying, hey, coke, weed, coke, weed, coke. Nothing we can do. What do you mean nothing you can do? We've been told to leave it alone. Leave it alone, ladies and gentlemen. All I'm going to say is many of you, you thought the guy with 22 years' experience as a cop was going to be Mr. Law and order, even under the Blasio, CEO, they weren't selling coke in the open. In the open, people walking around, tourists saying, what The hell is selling cocaine? I can see weed. Most people don't know what shrooms are, but they know what cocaine is. They've seen enough of the movies. Cops, well, are you in 13th precinct? No, can't do anything. They told us, leave it alone. Midtown South, Midtown North, no, can't do anything. What about undercovers, you know, doing a buy and bus? They won't let us do that. Who? Who? Well, there's only one person, right, who calls the shots, the mayor of the city of New York, and the missing in action police commissioner, Seawell. They're doing this brazenly, openly in your face. They didn't even do this when Dinkins was mayor. They didn't do this when de Blasio was mayor. They now are so brazen selling powder cocaine, and they're letting you test it, and they're giving you the Coke spoon if you don't have your own. Pretty soon they're going to put a key, a kilo right on the table. Say, hey, you ready to buy a key? Look at what's become of our city. Where are all, Where is all, all the hedge fund monsters, the Wall Street barons, everyone who bankrolled Eric Adams, you know, they say, yeah, he's going to clean up the streets. We're going to get back on track. Because they're using cocaine in the private clubs, right? Club Zero Bond. What do you think? You have a proliferation of private clubs in New York City. There is such a boom in private clubs, which you pay a $10,000 fee. And whatever happens in a private club stays in the private club. And they're tooting up cocaine like there's no tomorrow. Ladies and gentlemen, you're going to crawl into the belly of the beast with me because I've seen so many tragedies result from cocaine. It is a monster drug. Forget fentanyl. I know every oh, fentanyl, it's laced in the reefer. Uh, fentanyl, no, 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 no. no. The monster that will cause you to pick up a 9 millimeter and shoot somebody in the head that you grew up with, you went to school with, you shared a meal with. After they do a few lines of coke, you become neurotic. You become a psychotic. Shooting people dead that you grew up with, that you said was your blood, brother. Let's have an open discussion about this because it's spreading throughout the city. It's up in the Heights, Washington Heights. It's in Inwood. It's in the South Bronx. They're doing likewise there. Soon to come to a neighborhood near you in Queens, Brooklyn. And, yes, even in Staten Island. 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC.
0: Check this out. No one knows New York better. The founder of the Guardian Angels, Curtis Lewa. And you can't compete against that. On 77 WABC.
1: about cocaine then he got swallowed up into the belly of the beast but he he escaped think of how many of those you grew up with you worked with in your own family never escaped that monster of doing blow or then crack think think come on and now it's come back it's come back you never thought it. well okay you always knew there was cocaine around crack pretty much disappeared coming back with a vengeance. And ain't nobody doing anything to stop it. The orders from City Hall, no arrests. It's not an arrestable offense. And you you, uh, you could blame Albany for this and say no bail. No, 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 no. You think Rudy... Imagine if Rudy was in this circumstances, mayor with a no bail provision, with a Democratic majority in the state Senate and state assembly as exists now. You think Rudy... Would not order the cops to make arrests. Of course he would. Eric Adams, the swagger man with no plan, is letting this city slide into the abyss. And he appointed a police commissioner who is no longer... She's not there. She's missing in action. Wow. Let me remind you of what this monster drug has done to people. Charlie Sheen, right? Oh, my God. What a hot mess, Charlie Sheen. And he talks openly about uh, how that monster cocaine just ripped him limb from limb.
0: I don't know, man. I was banging seven-gram rocks and finishing them because that's how I roll. I have one speed. I have one gear. Go. That's
1: right. Because it gives you that mojo. Get your mo moving. You know, all of a sudden, your libido's having some problems. Eh, forget Viagra, Cialis, Levitra. Hey, just do some blow. But then all of a sudden... Your body becomes immune to it, and you got to do more and more. And then all of a sudden, you look down at the at Jimmy down there, and Jimmy ain't moving because all of a sudden it's affected your nervous system. It really, it it is a monster drug. Remember the Sopranos? Uh, There was Chrissy uh, who had to go for uh, rehab up in the Poconos, and they had to come up and give him an attitudinal readjustment. Tony and Paulie Walnuts. Well, what about that scene, Ralph Cifaretto? Joey Pants, when he explained exactly what powder cocaine did to him.
2: It was a coke. I should have never started
1: with that. Miami, it's all over the place. And it's starting to be all over the place now. Probably, I've seen a lot of movies, uh, obviously, a lot of movies were made out of that time period when the white powder flowed. Probably the best was Johnny Depp and Blow. It really was a magnificent movie, if you want to. See the horrors. Here was a guy who was bringing in bales of marijuana, and then understood that man—that's a lot of heavy lifting. Uh, you're making a lot of money, but man, a kilo of cocaine, and you're sitting on top of the world. But then, when you use the product, where did you get this stuff? Colombia.
3: Oh, uh, well, do you mind if I do online? Yeah, go ahead.
4: I
1: can't feel my face. I can't feel my face. So that's where the swagger man with no plan, Eric Adams, you know, he's up there, Club Zero Bond. He's out to the wee hours of the morning with the rapper French Montana, who's a Coke boy. The record label he owns is called the Coke label, not Coca-Cola, Coke. And what do you think these guys do? You think all of a sudden they've rehabbed? Hell no. That's why all of these private clubs all throughout the five worlds, you pay a big fee and you go behind closed doors and you toot. And you do the white powder right there. Oh, yeah. Yeah, now, does the mayor do it? Let's see. He leaves the clubs at about 233. He's up by six. You'll figure it out, huh? Hey, look, I'm a guy who uh, stays awake for many, many hours. You're not going to be able to do that without some kind of a stimulant. And we ain't talking Red Bull. Maybe Adderall. But there's a shortage. Uh, The FDA has now said there's a shortage of Adderall. You know, football players use that to stay focused. But, man, it gives you a lift, Adderall. So with less Adderall available, by prescription and in the underground economy, what do you use as the alternative? Powder cocaine. Yeah, come on. We've been through this before. We've been through it before. one 800 848 That's 1-800-848-WABC. They're dealing coke openly in the streets of New York City, and nobody's doing anything to stop it, arrest it, remove it. Let's go to Kathy in Brooklyn, your turn to be heard here at WABC, Kath.
4: Oh Curtis, I was listening to you last night and you were talking about that you was in Park Slope and you was gonna start sending the Guardian Angels over to help those door walkers. You know, you're better than you're better than a lot of people because none of them voted for you. I live in Park Slope. I'm one of the holdouts from back in the days. I've been here since nineteen sixty. And these people have no clue what it used to be like, no clue. I raised my four kids. I raised my four kids fighting. Forget about it. I I can't tell you all the whole story right now we take all day. I just want to say that none of them voted for you, and they should see now you're helping them. You're better than I'm telling you. Anyway, I just wanted to say. No, no,
1: Cass, let me me, uh, tell you why. Because women walking their dogs are under attack. There are emotionally disturbed people living in the park who are attacking the women walking their dogs. And in one case, a guy with dreadlocks and a staff came up to a woman named Jessica. Six to nine in the morning, a lot of people walk their dogs. They have to go to work. And it's mostly women. Right near the picnic house, uh, right off the entrance off of... uh, 8th Avenue into the park. It's a magnificent park. I love Prospect Park. It is the most beautiful of all the great parks in the city. When I ran for mayor, I wanted to increase the budget to 2%. People said, you? You're the Republican. I said, no. The trees make oxygen. Without the oxygen, we die. But anyway, that's for another day. So this woman, Jessica, was being attacked by this guy, and he started swinging the staff at her. And she was, like, on the ground holding up her arm. She's ready to get hit. And her dog, Moose, the Irish Setter, took that stand and protected her. And he started beating that dog. And that dog was mauled and then had internal bleeding, died a horrible death a week later. Moose. Community was united at that moment. Yeah, we got to protect the women and naturally the dogs, right? People want to protect animals more than they want to protect people. And then another group of people came in no. Don't call the police. Don't call 911. The city councilwoman there, oh, disgraziata. we got to help this guy. But they weren't going into the park to find him and help him. And so they wanted to form a citizen patrol. They were going to call it the Park Slope Panthers, and that dissipated. And the cops, they won't go in there any longer because the community has said, we don't want you here. The mayor, nah, it's not on his radar screen. While I'm patrolling around with uh, my wife, Nancy, and my oldest son, Anthony, and other guardian angels, we in the north area where the dog walkers are by the picnic house. Just half a mile away in the park as you go towards the south, an Asian guy, a Chinese guy, almost got beaten to death. A group surrounded him with baseball bats and almost beat him to death. That's Brunswick Park. No, we, we, we've come in. We're patrolling the park now. Sorry you had an opportunity to do it on your own. Sorry, amateur hour ain't good enough. We're going to protect the women. We're going to protect the dogs. Boy, Moose stood up. And this It reminds me of another situation in Roxbury where I spent a lot of time organizing the Guardian Angels years ago up in Boston. A 91-year-old iconic civil rights veteran, African-American woman. Respected throughout the city is walking a dog in the park. Bailey was her dog. The guy comes up behind her, stabs her five times, tries to rape her, she fights him off, kicks him right into the you know what? the three-piece set, and then Bailey attacks and bites him and bites him, and he's bleeding out. He escapes, but Bailey a hero again, standing his ground just like moose. Where are the men? Where are the men? Men never before would allow this to happen. That never happened in Park Slope. I know the old Park Slope. The old Park Slope was a tough neighborhood. Puerto Ricans, Irish, and then the Italians over there in Carroll Gardens. Tough neighborhood. Rated one of the toughest in the city, believe it or not, in the 70s. Where? Why are the men allowing this to happen? you lost your... Your coolions, your webos, you let your women go in the park. They're walking the dog, okay, that's fine, and they're they're under attack. Oh, but we got to help the emotionally disturbed. Well, I know how to help the emotionally disturbed. I've been doing that my whole life. We're we're taking over. Don't stand in our way. Not you, Adams. Not you, missing in action, uh, Sewell Police Commissioner. Not you, the city councilwoman out there, the acolyte of AOC, all out crazy, And none of the democratic socialists of America, the justice warriors, because you're not doing anything for the women and the dogs. We'll talk more about this tonight on the Animal Welfare Edition with my wife, Nancy. She's leading the effort from 11 to 12, protecting the women and protecting the dogs, Kathy. And we're doing it for a lot of the old-timers in Park Slope who remember how bad it used to be before the hipsters and millennials took over.
0: Check this out. No one knows New York better. The founder of the Guardian Angels, Curtis and You can't compete against that. On 77 WABC.
1: That's Eddie Murphy. Years ago, he left Saturday Night Live, left doing movies. Basically, uh, went up to Rick James and the Mary Jane Girls outside of Buffalo where Rick James grew up in the projects. Orchard Park where the Buffalo Bills play. That's right, where they're getting that billion-dollar stadium that we're paying for, courtesy of Kathy Crime Wave Holcomb. He had a mansion out there, and Eddie Murphy was up there with Rick James and the Mary Jane Girls, and man, they were doing like so much coke. Everybody knew they were cokeheads, and he was up there because he wanted uh, he wanted Rick James to turn him into a singing star. This particular song became number one, and then that was it. Like Michael Jordan, remember, left playing in the NBA, top of his game, and went to play minor league baseball in Birmingham for two years, only to come back and dominate the NBA again. That was was Eddie Murphy for a year. He was lost because of what? Cocaine. Think of it. You are living in the surrounding suburbs of the tri-state area. Your kids, your grandchildren are going to know that they're selling cocaine on card tables in Times Square, the Port Authority, and down on 23rd and Broadway. Word is going to get out. You don't have to score it in Bergen County and Essex County. You don't have to score it in Westchester. You don't have to score it uh, anywhere. Just come into the city. Walk to all the hot spots: 42nd, 34th, 23rd and Broadway. It's right out there. there and they let you sample it. You know. They're going to come and they're going to buy it. And then when they become coke monsters, you're going to wonder, how the hell did you get your hands on it? Who was selling in the neighborhood? They're saying, Mom, I just took the Port Authority bus to 42nd Street. The illegal aliens were getting off one bus from Venezuela. We got off the other bus. We walked a full blocks over and they were selling coke right there going to do this. I know this. I've been doing this for 68 years. They're going to start coming into the city on the Long Island Railroad, Metro North, because they'll be able to score Coke here and sample it and get a little toot. Nobody's doing anything. And the cops, they used to be the A-team. They're not the A-team no more. They won't let them do their job. And we got a mayor who's too interested in Partying to the break of dawn. He's like, never goes to crime scenes anymore, never. 15-year-old kid, shot and killed on the A-train, going to Mott Avenue, last stop for Rockaway yesterday. I got guardian angels uh, riding the trains out there today and telling me no cops. There's going to be more of that. Eight people killed in the subways this year alone, and the year's not up. And they say that it's a perception or a perception of crime. Are you crazy when you're dealing cocaine openly in the streets? Wow. Anyway, let's go, if we can, uh, to Carol, who's calling from Yonkers. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Carol.
5: Oh, hi, Curtis. It's Carol again. I call from time to time. Thank you for your passion, you know, about these drugs. I just wanted to say... Um, our drug problem in America it's never going to be solved. And I'm not being negative, but you know who told me? In the 70s, one of my patients who ended up on dialysis because of drugs. And what happens is you need the drugs, you go out and you rob, because that lady needs a new handbag. That's just like one scenario. Um, you rob a store, they need new stuff. So that's one thing. So one time... Um, I wrote to Mitchell. You probably know him, Mitchell uh, Rosenthal. He used to run Phoenix House.
1: Yes, I spoke in many Phoenix Houses uh, at his invitation. And it's good operation, good operation, good organization.
5: they did it. I did, did the step one. They did so many good things. But I was uh, sharing with him in a letter that, I don't think it's going to change because um, there's too much money on, in it, and I think we need draconian, and he totally disagreed with me. By draconian methods, I mean like Indonesia does, Philippines with Duarte, capital crime.
1: So- well, well, i I, I got to tell you, Carol, uh, I've never met Duarte in the Philippines uh, myself, and he's a crazy guy. He actually endorsed the Guardian Angels. There. I, I wasn't looking forward to that. <laughs> he loves the Guardian Angels in the Philippines. But he told the guardian angels there, the Filipino guardian angels, get guns and go out and shoot the drug dealers. You can't do that. And by the way, you could use that as an excuse to get rid of your enemies. You can say that guy was dealing um, over there. It's meth. Oh, my God. The meth is outrageous. He's a drug dealer. I shot him. Meantime, he's your enemy. Or you want to take his property or you want to take his money or you want to take his wife. And that's what they're doing then. Duarte is a nut. And now his daughter is the vice president, and Emil Marcos's son, is the president. It's gone full circle. No, no, no. We don't want to go the way of Duarte. Look, he, he supports the guardian angels there. I told him thank you, but no thank you. Let's go to uh, Melanie in Danbury, Connecticut. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Melanie.
4: Okay. Hi, Curtis. Um, I know you very well. You don't know me. I'm sixty seven, I'm a year younger than you or whatever. Um, you used to come down our street in Germantown on eighty sixth street and Lexington Avenue. And you were great. I always knew you from the Green Berets. And you you were great. You did everything. And then I was involved in something.
1: <laughs> yes, go ahead. Are you Mama. laughing at me? No, no, that was that was uh, Eric Adams. He was laughing because you said
4: don't do that. I'm
1: he said you were a green berets. It's the red berets, but that's okay.
4: Well, it's a red beret, but I'm a green beret because I'm a patriot. Okay, because no I, I work with the veterans. Okay. 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 So <laughs> please. And anyway, um, cocaine was really big. I was involved in a murder with Buddy Jacobson. He was a horse trainer, da da da, and he killed uh, a friend of mine who was dealing in cocaine. Cocaine was the biggest thing down at Studio Fifty Four. Everybody did it, all the models, I had a modeling agency. I did not do it because all I could see when I when I saw cocaine, everyone was really happy. They felt like they were the king of the world. And then the next day, the models or whatever, they, they were like depressed. So I'm like, oh, I'm not doing that. So I ran around the track, you know, and then, uh, you know, I ran, I ran. That's what I did. I ran, I ran, I ran. I exercised. I did that. And then finally, my friend was murdered. It was a big, you know, thing. But what I'm asking you right now is, I have some family members that are into cocaine, big. They're 35 years old. They're not young people. They get it on the street. They've been in rehab six times. But now the fentanyl's coming in, and two of friends of mine, they died from fentanyl. So what do we do? So what I believe, I think. I don't know who said it on WABC because I listened to all of you guys. Um, the death sentence, that's it. You deal drugs, you're a, you're a drug dealer, that's it. Well, You get death.
1: Melanie, I know we're looking for a quick solution. Uh, that's the route in Singapore. I remember flying Singapore Airlines into Singapore. I had to stay a day there and then head to India, to Bombay. And they tell you when you're on the plane there, if you have any illegal substances on you or substances that are not prescription drugs, go back and flush it now. They warn you three times on the plane. Because if they catch you with drugs in Singapore, you might be subject to the death penalty, even small amounts. But that's a very small country, very small. be impossible to do that. And again, it can be used wrongfully and... uh, you don't want to give the power to executing people in that capacity. What you want to be able to do is determine which of the drugs are the most harmful. And without a doubt, I know many people, they're on the fentanyl thing. And yeah, fentanyl kills. And fentanyl will knock you out like heroin will, but cocaine doesn't knock you out. Cocaine wires you up. You're going 24, 7, 3, 6, 5, like a cocaine monster. Whether you're smoking crack uh, rocks of uh, crack uh, and you're beaming yourself up to Scotty in a glass pipe or you're using the powder, it changes your whole mindset. I grew up and you you folks can look this up because recently my colleague Sid Rosenberg uh, was, had one of the lead parts in the Bamboo Lounge. It's going to be a big movie coming out. And almost everybody there I grew up with. And I can tell you the moment I knew that they, they were totally consumed into the belly of the beast by organized crime it was because of the cocaine, the Testa brothers, Anthony Centaur. I taught them stickball. We played touch football in the streets. We went out into the lots of Canarsie before the, uh, it got developed into the, uh, into the, uh, housing that eventually sprouted up. And we'd go with a 22 and we'd shoot rats. Shoot at birds in the sky, never hit them. Slingshot, same thing, never hit them. And one day, uh, Patty Test, pretty boy Patty Test. These are these guys are like movie stars. They were chick magnets. He aims it in the sky, the twenty-two, and he hits a blackbird. And the blackbird falls. He actually hits it, and it's fluttering on the ground. And Patty Test is crying like a little bambino. We never thought we'd hit anything. This guy was not born to be a stone cold killer. Eventually hooking up with the Gambinos and the Lucchese's, which was like uh, simultaneously on Avenue L, stealing cars, selling uh, selling parts, rolling in dough, doing cocaine, and they became psychotic killers. Between the Tester brothers, Anthony Centaur, Joey Testa Centaur, doing triple life without parole. They sent me letters from time to time, hey, you think you could ask the parole board? They drop dead. Ain't asking nobody, nothing for you guys. I knew you when you were young whippersnappers. Yeah, you were a little titched, but not like this. They would kill their victims in the bamboo lounge. Because shogi style. They would stab them up, bring them upstairs into the bathroom, hang them upside down. They would bleed out into tub. They would chop up the body parts and then dump them. Into the dump there, along Jamaica Bay, Fresh Creek dump, they did this close to a hundred times, same kid, right, Patty testa closes his eyes, shoots a twenty two up at a blackbird, finally hits it, falls to the ground, it's flapping, crying like a little bambino. Well now what are you going to say? It's genetic, no, nope. it's the environment, yeah, partially, but at that time, it was. The cocaine.
0: Check this out. No one knows New York better. The founder of the Guardian Angels, Curtis Lewa. And you can't compete against that. On 77 WABC. And now we take great pleasure in presenting to you the star of our program, Miss Kate Smith.
5: Hello, everybody.
0: It is my happy privilege to introduce a new song, God Bless America.
4: For a land so fair,
0: as we raise our voice in a solemn prayer, God bless America.
1: Remember, tried and true Yankee fans. George Steinbrenner had only one command to his sons. That forever and a day that the Steinbrenner family owned the most iconic team in the world, the New York Yankees, that this Kate Smith rendition of God Bless America would be played during the seventh inning stretch. It's all he asked. And what did they do in 2017? Because of Black Lives Matter, they folded like a cheap camera. I'll never forget, all of a sudden, they discontinued playing this. And their answer suddenly was, not that, hey, it's a different generation, we're moving on. No, 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 no. Black Lives Matter said that Kate Smith had used some racial words, racist words, in a song back in the 30s. I said, huh? Kate Smith, who sold more war bonds than any other person during World War II to help our effort, to help our boys. Kate Smith, who always sang this song in her many appearances around America, the, the greatest rendition of God Bless America. And then remember what they did outside of the spectrum in Philadelphia? They toppled her statue. And now you hear it only on the boardwalk of Wildwood, New Jersey, every morning when s- the sun comes up. This rendition when they raise the flag, which he's been banished by the New York Yankees. That was strike number one for me. And I remember I said to Randy Levine, the president of the Yankees, former deputy mayor for Michael Mbari-Cheech, nobody's a greater Yankee fan than uh, Rudy Giuliani. Why? 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 No answers. They folded like cheap cameras to Black Lives Matter, which has become big, large mansions. Strike one. Strike two. The other night, remember, make that day. Game number two in Yankee Stadium in the day, remember, postponed because of the rain on Thursday. It was the seventh inning. Aaron Judge gets up. He had had a miserable two-day playoffs with striking out. You could see was frustrated. He was frustrated. And the Yankee fans turned on him and booed him. Booed him. You heard the boos cascading down. There's no more cheap seats at Yankee Stadium. You could be up there <laughs> with an oxygen mask. It still uh, its to cost you a reverse mortgage, a payday loan. They booed Aaron Judge. Now, this is a Bay Area boy. This guy comes from the San Francisco area like Joe DiMaggio. He's not signed up. And they keep saying, "Come home to Cali." He's a Cali boy. He's not really. He's not like Derek Jeter was, who would party uh, to the wee hours of the morning, like the swagger man Eric Adams, who had no plan. No, no, no. You don't. You don't see Judge partying. He's a homebody. New, Imagine you. What his wife said to him when he came home, you know, I threw that song "Honey, they booed yeah, I you." years ago. That's number two. Sounds better now. Number three, we have. Uh, Aaron Boone as a manager, and I said this over and over again as a tried-and-true Yankee fan, we will never get into the World Series with Aaron Boone. He is a horrible manager, and he proved that last night in Cleveland by not going with the closer but bringing in a reliever of no consequence. And I remember my wife, Nancy, uh, called me because she's a tried-and-true Yankee fan because I was preparing for the midnight show, midnight to 6. I take you to the break of dawn, Saturday mornings and Sunday mornings, and she said, Curtis, the Yankees are ahead 5-3. It's the bottom of the ninth. I said, they're going to lose. And said, what happened? What happened to you? you Nancy, they're going to lose. They They got no bullpen. And Aaron Boone is their manager, and I said, you forgot the curse of Eric Adams, right? Eric Adams cursed the team that he said he grew up with, the New York Mets. He probably did. He grew up in Queens. Seems to have known a bit about the Mets. Cleon Jones in left. Tommy Agee was his hero in center. I got it. Okay, Ron Swobold and right. I get it. The Miracle Mets, 69 Miracle Mets. I give him that. Remember how Eric Adams predicted? You remember, Rich? Oh, the Mets are going to sweep into the World Series. He got knocked out of the box by Manny Machado and the San Diego Padres. Who? I hate Machado. So I actually, as much as I hate the Mets, I wanted them to get into the finals against the Dodgers, but it doesn't even look like the Dodgers are going to get into the finals. And then I realized last night, right before midnight, Yet I was no longer the kind of Yankee fan I was when I was a kid. During good times, never forget 64, the World Series against the Cardinals. Ken Boyer, MVP, playing third base for the Cardinals. Cleet Boyer, his brother, playing third base for the Yankees. Mickey Mantle had a great series. Joe Pepitone had a great series. And we lost fair and square, seventh game. And then we discovered basement Bertha. We were like, we were last place. CBS bought the Yankees. A guy named Burke almost single-handedly destroyed him. But I stood with him, too thick and thin, as many of you did. But Eric Adams, who's not a Yankee fan, although he pretends to be by wearing the interlocking NNY New York Yankee cap and the throwback jersey, predicted that the Yankees would sweep into the World Series. It's a curse. It's the Eric Adams curse. Shut up, Eric! And I knew that moment last night when Nancy called me up. She was all for toots. She had spent one summer going to Yankee home games. She saw two no hitters that summer, right, Coney? And you know who? The little Babe Ruth there, the tough guy who got his tooth knocked out having Bethesda over at the Upper East Side. I'll leave that to you. Curtis Lee was super sports spectacular, booby prize. And I realized baseball didn't have the same meaning to me anymore as the Yankees lost in that mistake by the late Cleveland. And I took some calls from Cleveland fans who really wanted to stick it to me, and normally they would have, but it didn't bother me. You got rid of Kate Smith, God bless America, because of Black Lives Matter, Randy Levine, and the Yankees. You folded like a cheap camera to what has become big, large mansions. You have cursed you have cursed the wish of George Steinbrenner, who brought the Yankees back and resurrected them into the world champions. That maybe one day they will be when they get rid of Aaron Boone. I would have rather have Aaron Rodgers of the Green Bay Packers as the coach of the Yankees. Yeah, I know, lost to the Giants. We'll see how he does against the Jets and all that nonsense. But I, I, oh, he lost to the Jets. Okay, might as well hire him as the. Uh, It's all Aarons, right? None of them are Jews, right? You have Aaron Boone, you have Aaron Rodgers, and you have, of course, Aaron Judge. Typically, when I was growing up, every Aaron I knew was a Jewish kid. But you got rid of Kate Smith, you got rid of God Bless America, and I will never, ever forgive the Yankees for that. No explanation. And I know why you're folded to Black Lives Matter. You folded to a group that was an enemy of America that wanted to destroy America. It's a pox on all of you who run the Yankees now.